Take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 2. In Union Church, you are dismissed. Mark chapter 2 is where we are looking at this week. And uh, last week, <clears throat> remember, <clears throat> we saw yet another confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees, but also the disciples of John, as they uh, rebuked Jesus and his disciples and were asking them, why are you not fasting? We're fasting, why are you not fasting? And remember, they, they, their ceremonial fast was on Mondays and Thursdays, and uh, they did this to, and, and thinking that it was going to give them forgiveness from God. And uh, now we see another instance where uh, Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees, And uh, Mark starts off, verse 23, as we're going to see, by saying, and. And this uh, and is not a continuation of the same event following verse 22, but rather Mark is just honing in on the topic of the Pharisees and their continued issues with Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse 23 of Mark chapter 2. And look at, uh, we'll look down to verse 28, the end of the chapter. The Bible says, and it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and wasn't hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat the showbread which is not lawful to eat but for the priest and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this time that we can be together, and that we can sing praises to you and and hear from your word. I pray you open up our hearts to receive your word. Help us to have an open mind to see what what the scriptures have to say. Uh, as we look in Mark chapter 2, and we thank you for uh, the study that we've had thus far, and we thank you that you've given us your book to show us exactly how you want us to live and exactly what you want us to do. And we thank you for this uh, gospel of Mark that shows us your heart and uh, really all that you did on earth, and really just a taste of what you did on earth. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you help us this morning. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say and uh, just to stay true to the scriptures because that's the goal. I pray that you'll be honored and glorified in this service. And Lord, if there's anybody that's here today, they've never uh, trusted you as their savior. I pray that today they will do just that and that they will trust only in you for salvation because we know it is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. In your holy and precious name, amen. So in our text this morning, we find... The Pharisees, yet again, criticizing, questioning Jesus. And then Jesus, what he does, is he pushes back with Scripture. And listen, this is a great thing to do at all times. But it is a especially good thing uh, for Jesus to do this to these men that elevated the laws of man above the laws of God. Now, What we see in these verses is a type of legalism in its truest form, and Jesus is is fighting against it. Now, I don't know that I'm going to make any friends with my message today, because I know that that, a lot of people don't like that word legalism. Uh, But there are very few things in this world as evil and as vile and as corrupt and terrible and ugly 
and growth stunting as actual legalism. Okay? So before we really go any further into this and really look into the text, it's important to understand what legalism is and also what it is not. Okay, we're going to define that. Uh, one pastor defined very well the two types of legalism that existed in Jesus' day and also in our day now. For one, there's salvation legalism. This legalism says, in order to be saved by God from your sins, you have to believe on Christ and fill in the blanks. Okay? Believe on Christ and be baptized. And then you're saved. That's what they say. Or believe on Christ and go to confession, or believe on Christ and join the church, or believe on Christ and do some kind of good work. But uh, that right there, that corrupts the gospel. That's complete heresy. That puts the reliance on works for salvation when it only comes from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's very prevalent in our day. So we have the salvation legalism. And then this is the, the next type of legalism is where a lot of people get confused about. The second type of legalism is that type which we see here in our text, and that is sanctification legalism. Now, we know we're called by God to be holy, right? We talked about that on Wednesday night for those, those of you that were here. We are called by God to be holy. We're to be set apart. We're called to live lives that are sanctified unto God. But this type of legalism, sanctification legalism, involves enforcing a list of man-made rules in order to be right with God, and it completely bypasses the Bible. So true holiness really involves looking to the Scriptures and being obedient to it, but this legalism, which is sanctification legalism, looks beyond the Bible and looks to the rules of men to be right with God. Now, legalism is not enforcing a biblical truth. Okay, me getting up here preaching what the Bible says, that's not legalism. Somebody holding you accountable when you err and go off from Scripture, that's not being legalistic. It's, legalism is not being a stickler to the book. And I like what Leonard Ravenhill uh, said about this. He said that there's a lot of people that when something is in the Bible or, or even uh, a church or a person and they see something in the Bible and they don't like it, they just call it legalism. And that is what some people do. But that is not what legalism is. Uh, preaching and teaching biblical truth is not legalism. So, as we will see today, actual legalism causes people to create their own list of what they think is pleasing or displeasing to God, regardless of it being absent from Scripture. And this, this legalism demands that others follow their list of rules or else they view those people that do not follow it as unspiritual or not in fellowship with God. And... I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nervous talking about this because in our churches, in churches like ours, I'm not saying our church in particular, but in churches like ours, this is a big problem. It's huge. And I don't want our church to be like that. I want our church to stick with the Bible. So this is really prevalent in our day. And again, it, it almost makes me nervous to even talk about this, but I mean, I'm called to preach the Bible, Amen. But this type of legalism is very prevalent in our day. It's the same type of legalism. I'm just going to give you some modern-day examples. And again, some of you guys may get mad at me about this. Just, just wait until after the sermon to be angry and give me a chance to, to show you in Scripture what the Bible says, okay? And then you can just wait, okay? This legalism 
Sanctification legalism, the legalism that we see here in scriptures, in Mark chapter 2.23, is the same type of legalism that says it's a sin for women to wear pants. It's the same type of legalism that says it's a sin for women to wear makeup or for men to have a beard. It's the same type of legalism that says it's a sin to go to the movies. When honestly, let's just be real this morning, when honestly the majority of movies are a sin to watch no matter where you are because so many of them are so corrupt and full of vile sin, but that type of legalism doesn't focus on the heart of the issue, it just focuses on the external aspect and the optics. It's the same legalism that says it's a sin to have social media or a TV in your home. And we're going to revisit some of these things later, but some of those issues can absolutely become a sin in the lives of people when it's taken as an extreme or it becomes an addiction, but this legalism simply majors on the external aspects and ignores the eternal. It emphasizes the action and excludes completely the heart. Now, as I said, whatever gets preached from this pulpit has to be from scriptures. Whatever we, you and I, whatever we try to impose on other believers in Christ and we hold them accountable to, it has to come from the scriptures. We are to call out sin. We are to expose it. We are to live holy. So don't leave this place saying, Pastor says I don't have to live holy. No, I didn't. We have to follow scriptures. We call out sin. We live holy. But God, he tells us exactly. Listen to me. He tells us exactly how to be holy in his word. And in case you didn't know, he doesn't need our help coming up with things that are not in Scripture and trying to enforce it. And this is what was happening in our text. And the Pharisees, they once again criticized Jesus over man-made laws, and they completely ignore God's word in regards to the Sabbath, but Jesus would have none of it. Let's look again at verse 23 and 24. It says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? So Jesus and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath day. And they got hungry. So they stop by a field that scripture calls a cornfield to satisfy their hunger. And this cornfield was a field of grain. So... They moved along the side of this cornfield. Maybe they went in where there were some paths. And they began to pluck off heads of grain, which was a common practice in this day. But the Pharisees, they got upset. And they did what Pharisees do. And they were as if, they might as well have just have said, Aha! We caught you! What are you doing? Eating grain and picking grain on the Sabbath day. Why, why are you doing that which is not lawful? Now, you may not know what the Sabbath day is. The Sabbath day... It's simply a transliteration of a Hebrew word, a Shabbat, that means ceasing from activity. It just means to rest. It literally means to stop. Now, God saw this and does see it. It's so important that he even put it in the Ten Commandments. Let's go and look at that in uh, Exodus chapter 20. This is from the Law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. And uh, look at verse chapter 20, verse 8. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, the Bible says, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which indicates that we have the ability to forget. And look at verse 9, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day 
is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God in it. Thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughters, thy manservants, nor thy maidservants, nor thy cattle, nor thy strangers that is within thy gates. So this actually, though, even it didn't, it wasn't just part of the Ten Commandments. This actually predated the law of Moses. This is something that God had established from uh, way back. Look at verse 11. It gives us the reason. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that uh, in them is, and rested uh, the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 2 to see this reference, to see what Jesus did as he took the time to rest on the Sabbath day, or the seventh day. Look at Genesis chapter 2. And verse 2, look at verse 2 and 3. It says in verse 2, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now, did God make this day a day of rest? And and did he rest because he was worn out? (laughs) No, he spoke and it happened, right? He did, he did it effortlessly. He did this to be an example to us. And this, this day, this Sabbath day, the day of rest, listen closely, it was a gift and is a gift from God. It's a picture of his mercy and his love and his grace to his people. The God that created our frail bodies, he knew that we would need to take one day out of seven to just retire from our labor, just to stop working and just to rest and to get refreshed. But these Pharisees, they took that which was supposed to be a blessing, and what they do? They turned it into a burden. And Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, and we've seen this recently, he said that the Pharisees often did bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders. And here in our text, we find the same thing to be true. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 2. I want to point something out here in verse 24. It says, let's look at Mark chapter 2 and look at verse uh, 24. In verse 24, it says, And the Pharisees said, now I want to stop right there, that said, that is a verb that speaks to a durative action. This means that the Pharisees, they kept on speaking to Christ about this matter. They kept on bothering Jesus about the Sabbath day. This would not be, probably not be the first time, and this definitely would not be the last time that they would question Christ in regards to what uh, he was doing on the Sabbath. And in this verse, they proclaim that Jesus uh, and the disciples, them, pick, them plucking that grain to eat was not lawful. It was wrong. They said, you're doing that which is unlawful on the Sabbath day. How dare you? But here's a question to consider. Was this not lawful? Was Christ breaking the law, by the way, his own law? Was he breaking it by plucking some grain to satisfy his hunger? Well, actually, no, he was not. And in fact, God uh, had made provision for this very situation, and Jesus was staying true to the law of God as he did what he did. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Look at... Deuteronomy 23, verse 24. In verse 24 of Deuteronomy chapter 23, this is from the law of God. And it says, When thou comest into thy neighbor's vineyard, then thou mayest eat grapes, uh, thy fill at thine own pleasure. 
but thou shalt not put any in thy vessel. When thou comest into the sanding corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's sanding corn. Now, what is this saying? This is telling us that farmers in this day, they were to share the harvest with the people that were in need uh, when they were hungry as they were uh, going about their day. And even on the Sabbath day, if a man were hungry... They were allowed by God to take off some grapes or to uh, get some heads of wheat to satisfy their hunger. Now, they could not harvest it so that they could sell it, but they could harvest it to eat it. If you notice, uh, it tells us that they could not get what they uh, wanted and just put it in a vessel. They could not bring it with them, but they could eat what they wanted right then and there. Uh, And this is exactly what Jesus and his disciples were doing. So they were not going against the law of God. Now, while they were not going against the law of God, these Pharisees, they felt that they really were. Why? Because due to hundreds of years of rabbinical teaching that just simply neglected God's word, the rabbis, they added several restrictions to God's original requirement of the Sabbath, thereby making the Sabbath day unbearable. Instead of it being a day of rest, it became a day of burden. And in fact, Jewish tradition states that there were 39 acts that were strictly forbidden on the Sabbath. And actually with what we see Jesus doing in our text, him and his disciples were technically guilty of breaking four of those 39 laws just from going to that uh, wheat field and picking it and eating it. For one, they were guilty of reaping on the Sabbath. And by the way, I want to I I explain again, this did not come from God, this came from men, okay? They said you were not to reap on the Sabbath. Well, they were reaping. How were they reaping? Because they were picking the uh, heads of the wheat, They were also guilty of threshing. And what was that? They were rubbing their hands together and mashing up that grain. They were also guilty of winnowing, which was separating the chaff from the grain. And then lastly, they were guilty of preparing, as they would pick out the food and they would, uh, as they were eating it, they would pick it out and eat it. But it's even worse than that. Not only were they guilty of those four laws, and not only were there 39 laws that strictly uh, forbid many things in the, uh, on the Sabbath, but the Talmud, which is uh, the primary source of Jewish law, it actually contained, listen to this, 24 chapters dealing with just the Sabbath. And again, this was not written by man, or by God, it was written by man. It was written by these scribes. And, and just listen to some of these. These are some of the uh, restrictive laws that are in these chapters. And you know what? They're borderline crazy. In fact, some of them are just crazy. Here, here's some of the laws. And listen to what it says. Mud on a person's clothing could be crushed by a person's hand. If you got mud on it, you could crush it. And then you could shake it off. But you could not rub it out of the garment because that would be plowing. And plowing is work. Here's another one. You could dip your radish in salt, but you could not leave it there too long because if you did, then you were pickling, and pickling is also work. This is one of my favorite, and it's ridiculous, but here's one of my favorites. It says, it was unlawful if a flea landed on your arm. It was unlawful to kill that flea because then that would make you guilty of hunting on the Sabbath. (laughs) And lastly, they discouraged It was really up in the air whether or not you could do this, but they discouraged people from taking a bath because if you took a bath, then water could get on the floor and then you'd have to clean up the water and cleaning is work. Okay? So these are the types of things that we're dealing with here. These are the types of things that Jesus was was facing. So you can see why he rejected such laws and anybody that followed these traditions, listen, it would be dreadful for the Sabbath day to come, wouldn't it? 
I mean, I mean, just think about that. With all the laws that were put in place by these rabbis, you would be better off just sitting in your house, closing your eyes, or laying in your bed, and doing absolutely nothing because you could accidentally break one of these laws by breathing the wrong way. So you might as well just lock yourself up and just, you know, call it a day. But the Sabbath day, it became a day of bondage instead of being a day of refreshment that God originally intended it to be. And listen, as legalism always does, these restrictive laws of the Sabbath hindered a love for God. You know why? Because if people thought that these laws were truly from God, it would make God look like a restrictive God that just wanted his people to be miserable. But understand, church, what did Jesus say? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John testified in his epistles, his commandments are not grievous. These Pharisees, they turned out which was supposed to be a blessing into a burden, and this is what they often did. But then in our text, Jesus would go on to explain that he, being God in the flesh, he would explain that he was more concerned about the word of God. And he was more concerned about the needs of his people than he was about religious traditions that were just man-made rules that he had nothing to do with. Let's go back to Mark chapter 2 and see that. Mark chapter 2. And look at verse 25. Mark chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was hungered, he and the men that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. In this statement, Jesus is appealing to the knowledge that the Pharisees had of the scriptures in a really sarcastic way. The, these Pharisees, they claim to be experts in the scriptures, right? But they, they often fail to, to know what it was actually teaching and what it was actually trying to, to say. So Jesus used the scripture to challenge their ritualism and their traditionalism. And in a very sarcastic manner, it's as if Jesus was saying, don't you read the scriptures? Haven't you read what David did in the Old Testament when him and his men were hungry? Don't, he might as well have just said, don't you read the Bible? That's kind of what Jesus was saying here. And Jesus, he was referencing a time where David and his men were fleeing from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Let's go there and look at that. So 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21, and we'll look at verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 6. Now, uh, David was fleeing from Saul, and that's really a whole another sermon for a whole other day, but uh, God made provision for him while he was fleeing. And look at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 21. It says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the high priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? Which people were with him, as we'll see. Uh, he would find that out later, but verse 2 says, And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business, whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now again, David, he's being deceitful here, which we obviously don't condone lying, uh, but again, that's another sermon for another day, but God would, would take care of his needs. Look at verse 3. Now therefore... What is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in thine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread, if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women 
have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessels. So the priests gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. So what do we see here? We see David going in the temple. He was hungry. He was fleeing from Saul. And he asks this priest for five loaves of bread. And the priest says, hey, listen, there's no regular bread around. There's only holy and consecrated bread that is only to be used for the Lord in the temple. Because the priests, they were the only ones that were allowed technically to eat this bread. But the law of necessity overrode the typical law that was followed. Because God was more concerned about the preservation of David's life than protecting a religious tradition. And this shows us that God was more concerned about human need than rituals. So Jesus uses the scripture in our text to illustrate the mercy, again, the mercy and the goodness and the love of God, while at the same time placing scripture above the law of men. And then in our text, he exposes the folly of these Pharisees' Sabbath restrictions by informing them that the Sabbath day actually came into existence to meet the needs of the people, not the other way around. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, look at verse 27. It says, And he said unto them, Jesus said this, ready? The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's like a mic drop right here, right, by Jesus. (laughs) These rabbis and Pharisees, they had this all backwards. They acted as though God made man for the Sabbath. They acted as though man was to be a slave to the Sabbath and that the people were only made by God to meet the requirements of the Sabbath when in reality the Sabbath was a means to an end and that was the good of man. It came into existence to give uh, a time of rest and refreshment. And listen, you understand that man is the crown of God's creation? We were made in the image and likeness of God and he sees us as more important than he sees a day of the week. John Phillips wrote this. He said, He who knows our frame and who remembers that we are but dust instituted the Sabbath for our good. The Sabbath was made for man. God knew, church, that our weak, frail, tired, and weary bodies would need a day of rest. And you know how he knew that? Because he made us. He created us and he knows all about us. So again, in his mercy and his grace, he created the Sabbath as it would be made for our own good. But the restrictions that these Pharisees put on it made it intolerable. And Christ rejected this and he brought scripture to back it up. We see here that the living word, he spoke the word. And in doing so, he exposed the legalistic ways of the Pharisees. And then he proclaimed himself to be the ruler of all things. He claimed himself to be God. And he boldly informed them all, I am the ruler of all things. Look at verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus boldly proclaims that he is God and that he is Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he is the owner. That's what that means. He says, I'm the owner of the Sabbath. And he's letting them know, I have authority over the Sabbath. He's letting them know, I reign and I rule over it. I, every day, including the Sabbath day, belongs to me, is what Jesus was saying here. Reminds me of that verse in Colossians, I think Paul mentioned in Sunday school this morning, that he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And by the way, that includes the Sabbath day. And he had authority over all things, including the grain that he was gathering. 
You know, it's interesting. You consider the grain that the Pharisees were giving him a hard time about picking and eating. You understand that Christ created the seed of that grain? He sent the rain to help the crops grow. He made the soil. He made the sun. He allowed it to shine so that the fields could grow the grain. Listen, he owns it all. He created it all. So if the disciples were hungry, and then they had free reign to gather by way of provision of the law that uh, God had given them. So look, God, Jesus, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he is the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord over all things. And in this, Christ resisted the legalistic ways of the Pharisees, and he brought scripture before them. And he elevated the word of God over the opinions of men. Now, here we're getting into application time, okay? So this is where I, I start treading dangerous ground again, okay? This needs to be a lesson to all of us. Look, we need to avoid getting so caught up in making mountains out of molehills. We need to be very careful to never focus on issues where God is silent. And we need to be very careful not to break fellowship with, those, uh, with other believers over minuscule things. We need to be very careful not to be like the Pharisees that go way beyond the word of God, but rather be believers that focus on the word of God. Legalistic people, they do tremendous damage to people's view of God. They make him look like a God that desires his people to live in misery and bondage, when in reality, listen, if you're a Christian and you live the Christian life the way you should, then you understand that the Christian life is anything but misery and bondage. It is a life full of joy, it is a life of freedom, and it is a life of hope. But legalistic people, like these Pharisees, they promote a skewed view of God. They stunt spiritual growth in the lives of people. They make a big deal out of that which is nothing to God. They hurt the cause of Christ. They make issues where no issues exist. They overreact to things that don't matter. They micromanage people with their lists that they made themselves. And they look to enforce laws that go beyond the word of God. I've seen legalistic people and, and legalism do great damage to children whose parents only focus on the external appearances. But then they live like there's no God behind closed doors of their home. That's terrible. That's damaging, and it's vile. I like what one preacher said about legalism. He said that uh, living a life of legalism is like wearing shoes that are two sizes too small. He said it hurts, it's restrictive, it's a nuisance, and there's only one solution, and that is to take it off and get rid of them. And listen, today, if you are caught up in a legalistic mindset that causes you to look down on other people that don't have the same preferences and convictions and opinions as you do, you need to throw that out and get rid of it because that's pride. And God hates pride. And a legalistic mindset of the Pharisees was so blinding, they could not see God and he was right in front of them. And that's exactly what legalism does. That mindset will cause us to think that we're more spiritual than others based on our preferences and convictions where scripture is silent. And again, it's damaging. And let's just be real this morning, church. Listen, not all issues are black and white. They're not. And Paul, in the book of Romans, he gives us really good insight and very good help as to what we should do when we approach a situation where the answer is not laid out directly in scripture. And it, it'll, it'll help us this morning. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. From this insight, we learn that the Lord gives us liberty. And he calls us to show grace in these types of situations. And unfortunately, the, the word grace is not in the vocabulary of legalistic Pharisees. 
in Jesus' days, and it's not in the vocabulary of legalistic Pharisees in our day. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 14. Now, one thing that I like about being an independent Baptist is being independent. I have, we have what, what they call individual soul liberty. That's part of being a Baptist, which, again, that simply means that uh, if the Bible does not, have, does not clearly spell out that we need to do certain things a certain way, then we need to seek the Lord about it and ask him what he wants us to do. Okay, We're independent. We ask God. Now, we're not independent just to do whatever we want, but we go to the Lord about it. We don't have uh, some high hierarchy that tells us what to do. But look at Romans chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, Paul is starting out this chapter by encouraging the church to uh, be accepting of those that are weak in the faith, like a baby Christian that does not have a firm foundation. And specifically, this speaks to believers who are unable to let go of the religious ceremonies and the rituals of their past. Uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, they both face different sets of past issues that would call for grace in the church. So I'll just give you an example. For new Jewish believers, people that came to faith in Christ that were Jews, they had difficulty abandoning the laws of the Old Covenant. They felt drawn to dietary laws. They felt drawn to sacrificing uh, in the temple like they had always done. They felt drawn to observing the Sabbath day like we're talking about here. But then the new Gentile believers, many of them had previously been very deep into pagan idolatry and rituals. So they felt that any contact with anything relating to this past uh, of idolatry, including eating meat that had been offered to pagan idols and then sold in the marketplace, they felt that if they ate that, that caused them to be living in sin. So Paul tells the church, accept them. They're weak in the faith, but accept them. But then he says, but not to doubtful disputations. What does that mean? That means accept them, but not for the purpose of arguing over their opinions. Okay? You picking up what I'm putting down here this morning. Okay, listen. Paul then begins to explain the truth of Christian liberty. Look at verse 2. He says, For one believeth that he may eat all things, or eat everything. And then it says, Another who is weak eateth herbs. In other words, one person may think that they can eat, and they can eat all the meat, whether it's offered idols or not, but they, the, this other person... They may not be able to. They may only eat vegetables. So Paul is explaining that one may have freedom to eat all things, including these meats, but another may be convicted about it. They may not be at liberty to do so. So in that case, what are we supposed to do? Are we to be jerks to those that don't agree? Are we to separate because of their personal convictions? They don't match our own? Are we to view these people as less than spiritual or less spiritual than us? Well, let's look at verse 3. It says, Let him, or sorry, it says, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let's stop right there. As Paul used this illustration of the Gentiles to make his point, he, t he tells us that one that eats meat, one that has liberty to eat the meat that has been offered to pagan idols, he says that we should not despise the one that does not have the liberty to do that. And that word despise means to have contempt. So in this, we see that those have, that have liberty to do something that's not spelled out in Scripture should not look down on another person that may have stronger convictions than they do. 
He's saying, do not uh, look down on a person that maybe believes differently than you. That's where it's not spelled out in Scripture, and it doesn't say that it's wrong. Again, I'm going to give you a couple modern-day examples that are going to get me in trouble, okay? So look, the Bible, it clearly spells out for us that believers in Christ are to dress modestly, right? There's no disputing that. It's in the Bible several times. So therefore, tight and revealing clothing or attention-grabbing clothing is prohibited. It's not right. It's wrong. Okay? And by the way, that word modest, that also speaks to obnoxious clothing. Some of you men, maybe you have, a, maybe you have problems with that. I mean, I'm not saying we do, but a lot of times we, are, we, we get focused on what we're wearing. We want to have the, the newest styles. We want to get people's attention. Hey, that's being immodest as well. It's not just tight, revealing clothing. It, that is uh, immodest as well. But dressing immodestly does not bring glory to God, right? Again, it's very clear. The Bible speaks to that. However, some women in this church, or some women that you may know in general, and again, I'm just using women as an example here because this is an issue in our day, some women may be able to have the liberty to wear modest pants, and some may not have liberty to do that. And guess what? It's okay. Here's another example. The television. You may have liberty to have a television in your home because you can control yourself and it doesn't turn into an idol. Somebody else in the church, they may not have liberty to have a television in their home because it becomes an addiction. They waste so much time on it. And listen, again, if they don't have liberty to do that, then guess what? It is okay. The one that has liberty to do so should not look down on the one that does not have liberty to do so. That's what that verse is saying. But also vice versa. Look at verse 3 again. It says, let him that eateth despise him, or let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And look what it says. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Okay? Let's stop there for a moment. Those that have stronger convictions uh, should not look down on those that do not have the same convictions. We are not to separate uh, them from our fellowship and cut them off over that which is not clearly spelled out in Scripture. But why? Look at the end of verse 3. It tells us exactly why. It says, For God hath received him. Why should we not reject those that don't have the same personal convictions as we do? Because God has received them. It's as if, God is say, or it's as if Paul is saying here, Hey, listen, our holy God who blows your uh, holiness out of the water completely because your righteousness is as filthy rags. That holy God has accepted both of these types of people because they've trusted in his beloved son for salvation. So who on earth do you think you are to not accept them? That's basically what he's saying here. And yet, this happens all the time. And then Paul, he uses the Jews as an example in regards to following the Sabbath day, another special ceremonial day, so make the same point. Look at verse 5. It says, one man esteemeth one day above the other, another esteemeth every day alike. So what, what are we supposed to do if this were to happen? Somebody esteemed one day over the other. Look what it says. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So each Christian, as I said earlier, we are to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit of God in matters uh, that are not specifically commanded or prohibited in Scripture and be fully convinced of it ourselves. And then... Paul hones in on the issue that really matters, and that is the gospel and the word of God. And he informs us that we are all going to give an account for ourselves on the day of judgment. Look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 14. It says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. 
But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Hey, listen. Thank God you're not going to have to give an account for your neighbor. And by the way, I thank God I'm not going to give an account for another church except for Shiretown Baptist Church. This is a really big issue uh, in our day, again, as I say, uh, with preachers. A lot of preachers, they try to pastor every other church. They try, to, they try to make people fall in line with everything else that they believe is right and their preferences and their opinions. Listen, I'm responsible for this church. You are responsible for yourself. You are responsible for your family to make sure that they are following the will of God. And, you, and if you have your, your different preferences and your opinions, and, and you, you can surely you can allow, have your family fall in line with those things, but you cannot expect other people to have your same preferences and your same opinions and elevate it as if it's the word of God. Thus saith the Lord is what we're supposed to focus on. So avoid the mindset of the Pharisees that look to be spiritual policemen that enforce their own made-up laws. And in said church, what we need to do is elevate the truth of God's word. We need to avoid pride, Avoid contention and arguments and looking down on those that do not have the same convictions as we are. Listen, where the scriptures are silent, show grace. Show grace. Now, I know that maybe there are some people here this morning that maybe you're struggling with certain issues that God is silent about in the book. And maybe you're looking for direction. I want to encourage you, in order to find the answer, it'd be good for you to ask yourself a series of questions. If there's some gray area that you may be struggling with, and I have a few I want to mention, ask yourself this. If you do that thing, will it affect the love that you have for God? That's a great question to ask yourself. Will it affect my love for God? Ask yourself, will this thing promote or compete with my dedication to God? If it's going to compete with your dedication to God, I think the answer is pretty simple. Don't allow it. Ask yourself, will it glorify Him? We all know, as I've said many times, Hebrew or uh, Revelation 4.11 tells us that our purpose on earth is to glorify God. So ask yourself that question. If I do this, am I going to be glorifying God or not? Ask yourself, will doing this harm my influence or increase my influence for him? And if it's going to harm your influence, again, you just say no and not do it. And I like this one right here. When it comes to gray areas or something that you are thinking about, maybe, you know, God, do I have liberty to do this or that? Then ask yourself this question. If he were to come back while I was doing this thing, would I want him to find me doing that? Would it cause me to be ashamed? And if it would cause you to be ashamed, then again, you know the answer. Don't do it. You are not at liberty to do that. So wherever God reveals, whatever he reveals to you for the answer, as you ask him those questions and be obedient to it, as he prompts you to do whatever it is, but remember, listen, Paul said in Galatians that we have been called under liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So here's the thing. If our liberty prevents us from glorifying God in that thing, whatever it is, if it's used as an excuse to gratify our flesh to the expense of glorifying God, then we've got it all wrong. We've got it mixed up. So ask the Lord about it and be obedient to Him. Follow the leading of God, not the flesh. If it takes away from the lordship of, of Christ in your life, then it should be a hard pass. Because again, we exist to glorify God. So anything that causes the opposite to happen, it must be rooted out of our life and not allowed in. And in the end, remember that Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. 
And we need to make sure that whatever we uh, are wondering about, you know, if I'm at liberty to do this or if I'm not, we need to make sure that it does not affect his lordship in our life. Because the Christian life often, church, is full of having to deny ourselves so that we can better follow him, isn't it? Christ said that. He said that you need to deny yourself and follow me. Now, some of you here this morning, you may be here and you have no idea what all this is about, and maybe you're stunned to learn about some of the things that I have mentioned that go on in Christian circles. You may be amazed that sanctification and legalism even exists, but all the while, you're here and you're counting on a workspace salvation. Hey, I want to really implore you and urge you today, if you are trusting in a work, if you're trusting in going to church, if you're trusting in being a church member, if you're trusting in putting money in the offering plate to get you to heaven, then you need to repent and be saved. Believe the gospel of Christ. He is enough. It is only by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's only by grace. We, 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 we are standing here before a holy God. He can have nothing to do with sin. And because we're sinful people, that means he can have nothing to do with us. So because our righteousness is filthy rags, there's nothing on earth that we could ever do to earn his favor. The only thing we can do is claim the blood of Jesus Christ and trust in him. Turn from our sins and turn to Christ. So listen, if you've not done that, please do that today. I can take the Bible after the service and I'd be thrilled to show you how you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. I can show you the, the, the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus Christ. And you can be assured of your salvation. You don't have to worry about a following list of rules. Listen, when God, when Christ enters your heart, the Holy Spirit enters your heart, He then does the changing. He then does the changing. He does the convicting. He will uh, help you uh, trust in His Word and do what it says. But above all, church, I really just want the, the closing challenge this morning is just to allow Scripture to have total preeminence. God over man every time. And in regards to liberty and legalism, I know that there are ditches on both sides of the road, right? There are. The ditch of legalism, it stifles growth, it does great damage. And then there's that ditch of, of liberty that gives a license to sin and it does great damage to the name of God. It does great damage to the Christian. We need to stay out of each ditch and we need to stay on the road. And the road is the Bible. It's the word of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.